1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions, and
0: this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter, with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with David Burgess, who is the New York Times best-selling author of Teach Like a Pirate and co-author of P is for Pirate. He is a highly sought-after professional development speaker, well known for his creative, entertaining, and outrageously energetic style. His workshops, seminars, and keynotes not only motivate and inspire teachers, but also help them to develop practical ways to become more creative and engaging in the classroom. Dave empowers teachers to embrace the mighty purpose of being an educator and sparks them to design classes that are life-changing experiences for their students. As a teacher at West Hills High School in San Diego, he was the 2001 and 2012 Golden Apple recipient and the 2007-2008 Teacher of the Year. He was voted a faculty standout for 17 consecutive years in categories such as Most Entertaining, Most Energetic, and Most Dramatic. At a ceremony in Washington, D.C., the Academy of Education, Arts, and Sciences awarded him the 2014 BAMI for Secondary School Teacher of the Year. Dave specializes in teaching hard-to-reach and hard-to-motivate students with techniques that incorporate showmanship and creativity. Welcome, Dave Burgess. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: We're so happy to have you. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners?
1: I am absolutely completely ready. (laughs)
0: Like a pirate that's right all right um so dave can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now
1: yeah so i started as a classroom teacher taught for 17 years at west hills high school in san diego california and part way through that journey i was sitting down for lunch with my department chair and he came in and he said I just got put on the professional development committee for the district. And I thought to myself, how cool would it be if you put together a workshop based on some of that crazy stuff you do down in your room that nobody understands. (laughs) And, And then he paused though and he said something that changed my life. He said, but the more I think about it, I don't think you can because I think that your success in the classroom is just kind of you I think it's personality driven I'm not sure it's something you can teach to other people and so I took that as a challenge and mm-hmm. I said sign me up to do one of those workshops and so I signed up to do a professional development workshop for the peers of my district uh, a full day and I drove away from that meeting going oh my god what what have I just done I don't have a workshop I don't have any of this written down anyway <laughs> and so I got relentless about writing down everything I did in my classroom that I thought was successful and then tracing back to try to figure out where those ideas came from and that became the first workshop that i ever did and that was the beginning of my journey into leadership and not just being a classroom teacher but sharing my ideas on a wider scale amplifying my impact and i also think there's a lesson there about jumping before you're ready oh, yeah. i did not have a workshop when i signed up to do a workshop mm-hmm. I, I didn't have anything right but i seized the opportunity and then with that deadline I was forced to pull together my workshops. So sometimes you have to grasp things before you're even ready for them.
0: Absolutely. And so what are you doing now?
1: I began to do the Teach Like a Pirate workshops. I eventually wrote the book, Teach Like a Pirate. And then now what we do is we run a publishing company, Dave Burgess Consulting Incorporated. And we have 58 different books that we publish. We're always looking for powerful people with powerful messages and uh, trying to help them amplify their voice, and to spread those messages.
0: You know, I love to have educators on the podcast because I personally believe that educators are the most important leaders in education. And so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey with us. Now, I'm just curious, as far as jumping before you're ready, have you done that before? That was the first time you did it.
1: I didn't know anything about starting a business or running a publishing company. And we did that too. I think too many people always try to wait for the perfect time and the perfect time is usually right now. And, uh, you know, they say that you jump and you build your wings on the way down. And I think that's sort of been our journey.
0: You're a risk taker, which speaks to what you do. So thank you so much for that. Now, how would you describe your leadership style, Dave?
1: I try to be uh, hopefully inspirational and motivational. I'm someone who tries to convince people that they have greatness that lies within them, that maybe they haven't recognized themselves or they haven't embraced, and then trying to convince them that they need to share that. And that's one of the big messages that we try to tell people is that uh, you have something unique, you have something special that you need to share. And a lot of people don't share because they feel they don't have something that's unique and special, or because they think it's somehow selfish or egotistical to put themselves out there. So one of the lessons that I try to convey is that if you have something that you think could help other people, it's not just okay for you to share it. You have a moral imperative to share it. And so if you're not sharing your greatness and what's special and unique about you because of some issue that you have about not wanting to stand out or feeling egotistical, then that's, that's something that we need to talk about.
0: It sounds like you're someone who intentionally adds value to other people.
1: Hopefully. I think that's a huge part of leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, just backtracking a little bit about what your director said to you the first time when he said, I don't think you can do this because this is very unique to you. What has been your experience since then in really, I guess, duplicating yourself or scaling what you do?
1: I always encourage educators to present, um, submit proposals and do presentations uh, and write and blog. Because when you do that, it forces you to become very intentional about what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. Like if you have to stand in front of your peers and give a workshop, That means that you have had to go back, be very intentional about what is your secret sauce? What is your magic recipe? What makes you powerful in the classroom? And it it forces you to, to be reflective about that. And then when you have to share it with other people, it's only gonna help you. And so that was something I think that I became a much better teacher after I started presenting because it made me so much more intentional about my craft.
0: One of the, I guess, hesitations that this director had was that you're very unique. Other people can't really do what you do. Walk us through that with your program, because I did think that too. I thought, okay, so not everybody's going to teach like a pirate. How is it that you motivate educators to go ahead and try?
1: Yeah, so I think there's two ways to answer this. One is, teach like a pirate is not about other teachers teaching like me. Teach like a pirate Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. about taking what is unique about them, their particular strengths and talents and adding their voice, what what is unique about you, your particular strengths and talents, and your voice that you add to your classroom is what will make you most powerful and effective with students. Not only does it make you the most powerful and effective with students, it also helps to personalize you for your students. It's part of building rapport and relationships when you're sharing some of yourself as a part of what you do in your classroom. And so part of it is getting teachers to to really tap into their personal strengths and their personal voice in the classroom and then i think the other part of it is for me when i trace back to where my ideas came from it always came back to the same thing it was a question it was a kind of question that i was asking about my lessons that maybe other people weren't asked about their lessons and so i began to compile those questions one after another. Until eventually I had 170 of the questions, which became kind of the centerpiece of my workshop and the centerpiece of the book as well. And so questions are the key to creativity. Like if you want to change a teacher's classroom or change a leader's practice, change their questions. If you change the questions that they're asking around their practice, you can change everything. And so... Creativity is something that can be taught. It's not something that's just a natural trait. I absolutely agree. And I believe
0: that teachers are the most creative people. So what you do is you kind of bring that out of them.
1: Absolutely. I'm trying to get them to tap into that inner creativity, which some of them either don't know exists, or it's been a long time since they've accessed that part of themselves.
0: I love that. So which quotes about leadership speak to you
1: and why? Why? Oh, this is a tough one. I'm kind of a quote junkie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of depends on what day it is and what I'm working on. I'll, I'll tell you one that's kind of speaking to me right now. And it's a quote from Seth Godin, who's uh, probably one of my favorite authors.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he said, The cost of being wrong is less than the cost of doing nothing. Mm. And I think that's so true. That so often people, because they're so afraid to be wrong, end up not doing anything and that could be the most costly thing of all and so it's like this fear of perfectionism that we have that everything has to be worked out everything has to be right before we take our step before we take our leap our jump and it's never gonna be completely right it's never gonna be safe and so you're more likely to make a mistake by standing where you are than by taking a step in the wrong direction
0: you know and I can see how this is a guiding principle for you
1: absolutely and From I the think very that beginning is, you
0: something. jumped before you were ready right
1: yeah, absolutely. Time after time. All right. And and many, and many times landed badly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's when we pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and move forward. Love that. Absolutely. Right. And so Dave, what type of leader are you inspired by and why?
1: I think leaders who don't just talk the talk but walk the talk. Hmm. And I sent a tweet out one time which caused a little bit of a stir. And basically, this is what the tweet was. It said, Don't talk to me about creativity, innovation, and collaboration if your professional development in your meetings model none of this. <laughs> and yeah. so we have to model what we would like to see. And so, if you want to have more innovative and creative teachers, then you need to lead in a more innovative and creative way. It's very popular right now in many circles, whether it's business or whether it's education, to say that you support innovation and risk taking. That's a very popular thing, it's almost cliche, right? right? But what I think is, we don't really know if you believe that until we see what happens what you do when somebody fails. When someone in your organization fails, how do you respond? That's when we really find out if you support risk-taking and innovation, because it's easy to say it. It's easy to say you support that when you're talking about the rock stars, maybe on your campus or in your organization. But what happens when someone falls flat? Do you come in in an evaluative and judgmental way? If you do, you're less likely to see risk-taking and innovation in your system. Or do you come in in a supportive way as a resource and a way that celebrates the risk? Like, hey, I know that didn't work out, but I'm so proud of you for taking that risk and stepping out and trying something new. If you come in in a way that celebrates that risk and as a resource for moving forward, then you'll see more risk-taking and innovation in your system.
0: And so after 17 years in education, what have you observed? Is there a change in this? Or... Are most people still stuck in, do as I say?
1: I think there's a, some momentum around mm-hmm. change and around innovation and risk-taking right now. I always kind of bristle at people that constantly say that the education system is completely broken and it's a disaster because I know lots of places I go, I see incredible stuff happening in school systems, incredible mm-hmm. leaders, incredible educators, teachers out mm-hmm. there trying new and innovative things. And I, you know, Of course, we have pockets right. that are maybe stagnant, and stuck in the status quo, but I think we have a growing momentum around creating real change.
0: Yeah, I believe that too. All right, so Dave, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: All right, so I'm gonna have to go back to Seth Godin for this one, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just two words long, and it's something that I think helped me change my life, and he said, pick yourself. Mm. Too many people go through life waiting to be picked. Waiting to be chosen, waiting for someone else to tap them and to bring them forward into leadership or into the light. And his point is, no, you don't have to have anyone pick you. No one has to choose you. Pick yourself. In today's world with social media, with blogging, with speaking, with all these different ways that we can access communities and create and build communities, you don't need those gatekeepers anymore. The gatekeepers don't exist. That was one of the key things with starting our publishing company. Uh, When you see an industry that's based on an outdated model, that means it's time for it to be disrupted. Well, it used to be that there were gatekeepers in the publishing world because you had to have the big company in order to get your book on the shelf of the bookstore. But then the world changed. And that's not where people buy books anymore. Mm -hmm. People buy books through places like Amazon and stuff like that. And so the gatekeepers no longer had that power. And so now if you're, say, a person who has a message that you want to share, you're a writer. Pick yourself, start a blog, write a book, publish it yourself, put yourself out there and don't wait for other people to validate your message.
0: And that's great advice. Now, I think this is a great place to tell us a bit more about your publishing company, about your professional development.
1: Yeah, so you can find our publishing company at Mm -hmm. DaveBurgessConsulting.com. You can find me at DaveBurgess.com and we're huge in social media i love getting connected with people i'm at burgess dave on twitter my name is flipped around to burgess dave and if they're an instagram person they can find us at dbc underscore inc
0: okay and if there are some writers out there what are the steps that they should take towards publishing
1: if someone was interested in publishing with us they can contact mm-hmm. us through dave but i think what's important is too many people come to me and say Hey, I want to write a book and then go around and speak about it and blog and be on social media. And I always tell them, no, that's backwards. Mm -hmm. Go speak first, go blog first, go podcast first, do all these things first. And that gives you a chance to hone and craft your message. And then you can write a book. And so I think people get it backwards. They want to write the book and then go speak. I think they should go speak and then write the book. Because then with real eyes staring at them, they get to see what resonates, what doesn't. They get to see what do people come up and talk to them about afterwards? What do people want more information about? And it's going to create a much more powerful book if they're willing to put in that time on the front end and to build that platform, that community on the front end, rather than trying to do it after the book.
0: And I have to tell you, I've had several leaders on my podcast, teachers, who have said they've read your book, Teach Like a Pirate, and they love it. So when I had this opportunity, I was very excited. So thank you so much for sharing all this information. Oh, that's
1: great to hear. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, Go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. What does it mean to you to have a good team and
1: how do you build and sustain one? I think having a common goal, and a shared vision that's been created, not just top down, but from Mm -hmm. a grassroots level. And so that everyone has buy into it is one of the essential ingredients of a, a good team. And then understanding that everyone doesn't have to be the same. In fact, it's the diversity, it's the differences within a team which make it the strongest. Like you don't want to have a basketball team that has five centers. On the court, right? You want to have a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a power forward, and a center. And too often, I think people don't understand uh, that's the same thing in any kind of team, not just a sports team. It's the diversity that leads to strength. And Mm -hmm. so we want to try to empower people with unique voices. Mm -hmm. And also, I have something in my book I'm super passionate about. It's called Collaboration versus Collaboration. Collaboration spelled C O L L versus Collaboration spelled K I L L. Mm -hmm. collaboration is something I believe in very strongly. It's made me a way better teacher, educator, leader, and I do it every chance I can get. But collaboration with a C is about all of us coming together to get better, not all of us coming together just to become the same. It's about improving education, not simply standardizing it. And so I always try to fight the cookie cutter. It's about getting better, not about standardizing things. Mm -hmm. I always fight the cookie cutter and encourage teachers that it's going to be their unique strengths that's what's going to make them the most powerful and effective
0: absolutely now can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your
1: life well i think one of the biggest challenges we faced in growing this business was learning how to scale mm-hmm. and we were growing so fast that what happened for me and for my wife shelley as well who runs the business with me we became overwhelmed with the book work, the behind the scenes, the operational aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. And we're not having as much time to create content and to build communities and to connect with people that had been our strength when we first started. We were so overwhelmed with emails and book orders and things like this. And so I was always a person who found it difficult to delegate Mm -hmm. and to let go of some stuff. And so building a team, adding other people to our business and being willing to delegate and release some of those administrative duties was something that allowed us to really move forward. But it was something that was a struggle for me. You know, a lot of times people that start off as solo entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. they're so used to doing everything themselves and having their hands on everything that they find it much more difficult to delegate mm-hmm. and to release later. And that was certainly the case with us.
0: Yeah, and so releasing and delegating also means that you need to trust. How important is trust in
1: leadership? It's essential. For example, in Lead Like a Pirate, which was written by my wife, Shelly, and Beth Huff from Missouri, they talk about trust being the oxygen of any organization and that it's essential for survival, but yet Mm -hmm. it's invisible. Like, for example, you could walk into one organization and... You see all the same programs, all the same initiatives going on, the same training and all that, and things are a disaster and there's a poor culture. You go into another system and you see everything running smoothly and being highly productive. The programs look the same. The initiatives look the same. The difference? Trust. Just like oxygen, it's invisible, but without it, we die. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's absolutely essential.
0: I love that analogy. Trust is like oxygen. Without it, you die. That's absolutely true. Now, your wife Shelley Burgess wrote "Lead Like a
1: Pirate." That's right. She's co-author of "Lead Like a Pirate" with Beth Huff, who was a principal in Missouri.
0: Oh, I'd love to have them on the podcast. We they would be
1: fantastic that. guests. They would love to join you.
0: Oh, that would be great. So, Dave, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes?
1: I put the moving from just being someone who was sharing my message. Mm -hmm. to really trying to amplify the voices of other people as one of my greatest success. And now I'm more excited about finding other people who I think have something that they need to share with the world and helping them to spread it. That's certainly a different level of leadership. Absolutely. People always say, hey, are you going to write a follow-up book to teach like a pirate? No, I I feel like I told my story. I Mm -hmm. feel like I wrote my manifesto. Mm -hmm. And now I think that I'm better served trying to help other people share their stories and their manifestos
0: love that now dave what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture
1: this happens all the time Mm -hmm. and i'm going to tell you a little story about this okay so Changing the culture of a school system or any organization, it's tough work. And I look at it like building a giant snowball. Like if you wanted to build a giant snowball and you went out into the snow and you tried to grab it all up in your arms at one time, what would happen? It would crumble away and you'd wind up with nothing, right? Like that's not the way you build or a you'd snowball. Or you break your back. <laughs> or, or you'd break your back, right? And it'd all fall out of your arms anyway. That's mm-hmm. not the way you build a snowball. The way you build a snowball is you get a little bit in your hands and you pack it tight and you shape it and you mold it. And then when that's tight and shaped and molded, you add a little bit more and you work with that, and you mold that, and you add a little more, a little more. Eventually, it gets big enough where you can set it on the ground, and you can start to roll it, and the snow starts to stick. Mm. That's the same way that you change culture of a school system or an organization. You can't announce change from the podium. You can't get everyone to change all at once. You have to find the people that do want to go with you, that do want to be a part of something new, do want to be a part of something creative and innovative, and you work with them and you shape and mold that small group of people. And it's the energy and enthusiasm that radiates out from that group that starts to attract other people in. They want to know what this is, they sense the positivity and they want to be a part of it. And so you welcome them into the fold and you work with them and eventually it gets big enough, you get enough momentum where you can set it on the ground in your system and roll it out across the whole system. But Mm -hmm. it always starts with that small group of people who want to change. So too many leaders waste their time and energy on the apathy and the negativity in their system rather than focusing where the positivity is and helping that energy to grow. Mm -hmm. And so I think that would be the biggest thing that I would tell that person that was disillusioned with, with their culture.
0: First, I mean, I love your visuals. It certainly paints the picture of what that's like. But when you're in it, that's sometimes hard to hear. So how important is it to have a coach or mentor, especially for times like that?
1: I think that's essential. And Mm -hmm. you know, I've heard people talk about this before that no matter who the person is, having a mentor or a coach is not a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. It's not a sign of being less than capable. It's Mm -hmm. a sign that you know that in order to reach your full potential, maybe you're gonna need some outside eyes, someone Mm -hmm. who's not in the scrum, in the fight with you Mm -hmm. to step back It's like if you're in one of those large mazes that's like built out of hedges, for example, and all you can see is the hedge all around you as you're trying to make these decisions where if someone was in a tower above it, they could give you directions and lead you right through it and it would be much easier for them because they're not inside of the maze. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it is important to have that coach, that mentor who can maybe have some altitude and see things from a different spot. Yeah.
0: And oftentimes we think that we're in it alone. It's important as leaders, as educators, to choose people who you want to speak into your life and ask them, hey, would you mentor me? Absolutely. Yeah. So Dave, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now?
1: Yeah, so I think that if you think that you have all the answers, then you're sorely mistaken. There's always something more you can learn. There's always another place to go. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I am a struggling learner right now. Mm
0: -hmm. My daughter
1: plays the ukulele. And she said, like, hey, I would love for you to learn how to play and and to be able to play with me. And and so I'm learning (laughs) to play the ukulele. find it incredibly difficult. And it's been a humbling experience for me because I think of myself as a great learner right? And it's something that I've done and excelled at throughout my life. And now here I am completely 100% struggling and running up against a wall. But I think it's been something that's been good for me as well to show me that struggle again and to remind me what it's like for a beginning learner. I was complaining about not getting very much progress the other day. And I heard like some of my own words coming out of her mouth. And she just said, well, it's because you're not putting the time in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love when that happens. I mean, yeah. I love when that happens yeah. to other people, not to me. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you know what? She was 100% right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you have to model persistence and perseverance, even when you, like, you just want to quit and you can't. Yeah, exactly. That's wonderful, though, because you're also teaching her leadership skills and persevering yes, and what happens when you fail. That's pretty powerful.
1: There's a lot of feeling going on, trust me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Dave... If there were something you could change in education, what would that be?
1: I think it's the overemphasis on standardized test scores. Mm-hmm. And first of all, the belief that we need to measure everything, and then when we do, choose, choosing the wrong things to measure when we do. Hmm. Just to give you an example of this, let's say that I'm teaching the Civil Rights Movement to my students. What is more important, that they know and are able to spit out all the different features of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, or that they're able to recognize injustice, oppression, and be willing to stand up and fight it when they see it. Hmm. Obviously the latter is what I want, Mm -hmm. but the only thing that's on the test is the first one. Hmm. And so I want a class that is more concerned with fighting oppression, and learning how to resist and fight injustice, and to have courage in the face of these things, I'm not so interested that they could tell me every single part of the Civil Rights Act 1964, right? Now, I want them to know both but only one of them's gonna be on the test and it's not the most important one. So I think that that's part of what the problem in education is that we focus on the wrong things. There's a mightier purpose to be an educator. We're in the life-changing business, quite literally the life-changing business. So it's about how do we can create those life-changing lessons and embed those life-changing lessons into the curriculum in order to help students change their lives, which ultimately will change the world.
0: Absolutely. I also believe that we're in the most important profession because we do educate the world. We do facilitate opportunities and possibilities for the world. I'm with you, Dave. Right. So what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well and
1: why? One of our top books that I think that would really resonate with school leaders right now is a book called Culturize by Jimmy Casas. He would be a fantastic guest on your podcast if you haven't had mm-hmm. him on yet. And it's about every student every day no matter what it takes. Like it's about changing the whole culture of your school system and the way your paradigm of how you look at education and realizing it's about reaching every single kid. So that's a book that I think is very powerful, especially in today's times is a book that the leaders could gain a lot from.
0: That's so valuable. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Now, Dave, you have a lot of responsibilities. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind?
1: One of the things that I've incorporated fairly recently is running. Mm. And so I've been trying to work on my morning routine. Mm -hmm. And so I think the morning is super important. It's sort of like if you can win the morning, you can win the day. So what I'm trying to do is to get out of bed a little bit earlier, get up, stretch, focus, and then get out there. And for me right now, it's running. It used to be walking, but whatever it is, have some sort of a morning ritual. And if it can include activity, exercise, I think that's super powerful. It just kind of puts you on the right foot for the rest of the day. And so I think that's something that's helped me a lot.
0: Win the morning. All right. If you were to go back in time, Dave, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: Start earlier. (laughs) 100%. And for the listeners, what that means is start now. There's never going to be the perfect time. There's always going to be excuses. There's always going to be your family's not going to be in the right spot. Uh, Your finances aren't going to be in the right spot. There's going to be too much going on at work. There's going to be health challenges. There's always going to be something that makes it not right in your mind to start right now. All those things are wrong. Right now is the best time to start.
0: Wonderful. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Live wide and read wide. A lot of the best education books aren't even in the education section, right? And so I always encourage people to read wide and to live wide. Teach Like a Pirate is a really strange book. There's not one single education book that's referenced inside of it. Not because I don't like education books, I publish them, because that's not where it came from. It was from the outside drawn in. When we are involved in reading new hobbies, new interests, all those things provide us ammunition from outside of the educational world that we can bring back into the education space. And so for example, it's my background as a basketball coach has influenced how I give feedback to students, how I break down instruction. My background as a magician influenced my sense of staging and showmanship and incorporation of props and things like that. My background as a marketer and entrepreneur, I like how a marketer creates buzz for a new product release. I create buzz for lessons and content, right? I'm using marketing techniques in the classroom. I'm selling to my students. My background as an MC, like if you heard me give a professional development program you say wait a second is this a show or is this a workshop right mm-hmm. and so my background has influenced my professional development speaking style I'm a person who's used to speaking in a fast and flourishy way on a microphone in front of people and so all these things have come together to create the best me. So again, I would emphasize at the end here, Teach Like a Pirate is not about anyone teaching like me or leading like me. It's about taking about your strengths and talents and adding these human nature elements that I talk about in the book to create the best you. It's always about creating the best you, not becoming a copy of, or a clone of someone else. So I'm
0: just curious, why Teach Like a Pirate? Where did that come from?
1: yeah so this is kind of a strange thing teach like a pirate it's got nothing to do with the dictionary definition like we don't want teachers to go out and attack and rob ships at sea okay (laughs) it's got everything to do with the spirit and to me the spirit of a pirate is someone who is unconventional someone who's willing to reject the status quo someone who's willing to sail into uncharted waters with no guarantee of success a risk taker a rebel a maverick and so it's about embracing that spirit of being a pirate in addition to that Pirates are known for having hooks. And this is all about how you get a hooks into your classroom, into your content, into your leadership, to draw students in and to draw followers. And then it's also an acronym. And that the P-I-R-A-T-E of the word pirate is an acronym. So each one of those letters stands for something in the pirate system.
0: And they have to get the book to find out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dave. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been so much fun.
1: It was an absolute pleasure to join you. I had a blast and I can't thank you enough for having me on the show.
0: You have a great day. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time. Continue to ignite that leader in you.